Welcome to Professionals on Purpose podcast. Really excited to have Art Harding on the show. Art Harding has 20 plus years of tech experience. He started his career as a tech professional that's evolved into a go-to-market leader through various paths of sales and leadership roles throughout some of the most successful companies like VMware, Semantics, Riverbed, and now he is the COO of People AI. Art, welcome to the show. Thanks, Frankie. Thanks uh, for taking the time to uh, uh, spend some time with me this morning. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So as a way of getting started, uh, mind telling us a little bit about your story? Yeah. So, you know, um, I think we could use the whole hour if I tried to tell the whole story. So maybe <laughs> maybe touching off on a couple of themes, um, you know, as you know, as uh, born and raised in the New England area, went to college at Florida State, and I've had a career um, as a hands-on technical professional salesperson, um, as well as a services leader, and more recently have been in go-to-market leadership positions. But if I had to touch on a couple of themes, <clears throat> you know, early on in my life, I really focused on the fact that I thought happiness and fulfillment came from maximizing experiences and relationships. And as I look back over my career, I can see that I was constantly in pursuit of change and building rich experiences and building relationships that manifested itself through um, a lot of travel, being fortunate enough to build teams and do business in faraway places, which, you know, early on in my career sounded very exciting. And, and thankfully it was. <clears throat> and, um, what I've really found is by pursuing whatever the next big change is, or by pursuing different ways of looking at things, when you work globally or you get the opportunity to do business globally or build teams, you really start to understand how different people see things differently. <clears throat> and I think it really um, helps round you out as not only a professional, but as a person. And as I look back at some of my most fulfilling times, and as we talk about professionals with purpose, being able to view things through different lenses, through different paradigms, and um, build relationships um, with people who have different backgrounds um, has been something that's been very fulfilling for me. And ironically enough, also turned out to be very valuable um, later on in my career to understand um, how to see those problems. So, you know, looking at change <clears throat> is one of the things that, um, as I was moving on from Riverbed Technologies, I joined a cloud software company called New Relic. And I don't think I've ever worked for a company that was as committed to moving fast and thinking differently um, as New Relic. Uh, as one of the early cloud SaaS companies, we were constantly asking ourselves, how do we move faster and how do we think differently? Um, and that's where uh, you're and my journey collided. Um, that's when I found People AI. It was clear to me that People AI was tackling problems and go to market and asking different questions. And um, it was an investment we made as a go-to-market team to really talk about how do we go to market differently, um, which brings me to my role today at People AI um, in the AI and sales go-to-market space of revenue optimization and intelligence. Yeah, well, I'm very thankful you found this path because it's been awesome working with you so far. Um, one thing that you had mentioned uh, throughout that introduction was connecting with diverse personas. And that's a piece of advice you gave me on one of our socially distanced uh, walks one day. And it really hit home for me because I think as a salesperson and even any role you get into, we can just put our head so focused on what we do and how we think, but it's important to spread the knowledge throughout different personas. So do you mind expanding a little bit about that, connecting with different personas, how that's helped your career as a salesperson all around better human being? Sure. Um... You know, I, I, I don't know if this is the right way to view things, but I, if it says, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I've been doing this for, you know, 25 plus years. And I know a lot of us, when we get started out in our career, we're actually really just trying to find a place we belong, right? Uh, am I a salesperson? Am I an engineer? Am I a finance person? Do I envision myself being a leader? Am I an entrepreneur? And as we wander around and, and almost get some random experiences early on in our career, as we start to move into our thirties, you know, it's natural we all start to focus and refine and try and establish a brand. Um, the risk is as you start to figure out who you are and what you're going to be, you'll start to spend more and more time with people like you. And so if your focus is sales, you'll find, your, you'll find yourself surrounded by salespeople and SEs. Your manager came from sales. And it really hit me in my, you know, kind of the midpoint of my career um, I was, you know, talking with a couple of friends of mine. I said, you ever notice that we spend all of our time with salespeople? I'm like, 
you know, we talk about calling on these different personas. We're dependent on so many resources within the company to be differently. How much do we all actually know about day in the life of a finance person, day in the life of someone in operations? And I actually very intentionally set out, uh, you know, in you know about halfway through my career to start not only focusing on building different types of relationships, but also challenging myself to recognize, respect, and connect with the differences of how different people with different strengths tackle problems. And diversity, obviously, in 2020 is a, you know, a topic that's gotten a lot of attention. And a lot of times it's about gender, religion, race. And while those are absolutely important dimensions of diversity, you know, true diversity is actually you know, different ways of thinking about things. And um, I think the story you and I talked about, I remember being a major account manager and as my territory continued to shrink and I was being challenged to sell more, um, I had this moment where I thought, I can't do this. This is impossible. How, how could I possibly, I've sold everything we have to the people who buy them. And I went on a little adventure to commit to myself to meet a different person in a different part department that I never thought would have anything to do with what I was selling at the time, which was VMware. And through that journey, um, I definitely had a more than one awkward meeting. Um, I met with people in HR. I met with people in finance. I sp spent some time with the facilities guy I saw in the lobby. I just, I had this checklist of, I'm just going to keep meeting with different people at this company um, until I learn something new about how they run and how they think. Um, and as you know, the crescendo of that was I bumped into someone um, in the finance department um, who was expressing to me a desire to get into project management and professional services. So she was looking for some mentorship from my background. And in that exchange, she mentioned, hey, given what you sell, you might be really interested in what I do and started explaining to me that she was actually the controller for the IT department um, and could talk to me about how this company budgeted money, how they internally costed things out um, and ended up equipping me with a lot of information um, I a, would have never gotten access to and B, she ultimately ended up making a lot of introductions. Um, but I didn't find her on the first meeting. Um, I yeah. went through um, and connected with a lot of other folks. And then I think wrapping that all up together, having moved from 20 years in the field to the last five to seven being internal operations, when you're working with uh, people that have a career in GNA or internal ops, what they prioritize and what's important to them in their value system in a lot of ways can be very different than people in the field um, that are attacking their profession with a different set of values. And as you grow as a leader and your responsibilities start to span across different functions, you can't just look at everyone through one lens. So if you only use a sales lens to, lens to evaluate talent, or you only use, are, you know, are people good at math or how do they solve problems? Um, you run the risk of missing out on some really important talent and some really important methods of solving problems. And I think if you wanna scale as a leader, being able to identify differences, bubble up those strengths and highlight them. And then the last part is, can you bring different groups of people who value and do things differently together uh, to accomplish a common mission? And to me, that's real functional diversity and is really the real value of inclusion and diversity is um, in today's world. Um, and it's a responsibility we all have as leaders. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not taking people for what you said in one of our earlier conversations, but face value and looking at them and how do they work together and fit together as a bigger puzzle piece versus just what's the service level look like so that's huge totally i think i think one of the risks are there are personality types and there are values that we all naturally gravitate towards and over time you know the compounding interest of those relationships that you build will be some of the assets that you're going to have later on in your career. And if all you do is go back to what's comfortable, go back to what you know, and go back to what you value, you're missing out on a lot of things. And we talked about change earlier. Yeah. Just, you know, these relationships and experiences I've had with people that I don't think I ever would have normally or intentionally chosen to go invest or spend time with. Um, I've, I've found it very rewarding um, to actually harvest some of those um, points of view and some of those talents and skills um, that I might not have naturally gone after if I had not been intentional about it. <clears throat> yeah, it's you're getting another team member that has a different, completely different worldview or or work view and looking at different problems so you can bring them in and help you work towards something faster and then also hopefully more creative and more innovative. Totally. Yeah.
Another thing you mentioned at, in your intro is when you're at New Relic, you guys really wanted to move fast. And um, <laughs> at AppDynamics, when I was there, we competed against you guys, obviously. So we saw some of the fruits of that. So it's definitely a testament to some of the work you're doing. Um, but people always talk about wanting to move fast and wanting to do big things with their life and with their company. How does commanding the fundamentals allow you to contribute to success? Yeah, I think, you know, um, again, the conversation you and I've had is that it's, you know, especially in the tech industry, we all walk around with this advertisement that we want to be disruptive. We want to move fast. We want to make an impact. Okay. It's not uncommon for me to be interviewing people or recruiting or working or mentoring with someone. And they say, Hey, I want to be relevant. I want to make an impact. We need to move fast. I'm a hard charger. You know, I think outside the box, all the cliches. Uh, so those aren't the hard people to find. The hard people to find are the ones that recognize in order to pursue making an impact um, and having velocity, that that actually starts with a command of the fundamentals. A good friend of mine says, the only thing worse than running in the wrong direction is running in the wrong direction enthusiastically. And <laughs> so it's one thing to want to move fast, <clears throat> whether it's, you know, I'm a snowboarder and, you know, I can tell within the first you know, few hundred yards of, of riding with someone um, what, what velocity we're gonna be moving at that day. And I can tell based on their command of the fundamentals. And if we take that analogy and transport it to the business world, the difference in moving fast without fundamentals on a snowboard gets you a date with ski patrol um, and you get to test out the, the quality of the helmet you're wearing. <laughs> um, in the business world, <clears throat> you end up losing deals, spending money, making, making bad investments. And so what I really recognized is whether it was the leadership team at New Relic or other professionals that I've met or people I've seen in the sports world, the business world, um, or any of the other aspects of life is that what empowers velocity and what empowers velocity with positive impact is someone who has the grit and humility to um, you know, show up a few hours early, do a little extra prep, um, recognizes that if the fundamentals are distracting for them, that if they're not keeping their opportunities up, if they don't do the prep before the forecast call, if they don't do the prep before the customer meeting, that these little things, when they become muscle memory, they actually empower velocity and impact. If you want to skip the hard work and you just want to be cool and exciting and fast moving, um, you might be for a few minutes uh, before your snowboard goes off the trail. Yep. Um, but sustained velocity um, and sustained impact. Um, in a lot of ways, I think the fast fail gets a little over-marketed and people embrace it too quickly. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, failure is good. And I'm like, well, it is, as long as you understand, you know, you have good judgment and you understand the difference between what constitutes a fast fail versus what is you just figuring things out at the expense of a lot of other people. And I think that really manifests itself with, um, I have this two-part formula of success. The first one is know what success looks like. And then two is give a, you know, shit about what it is you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I'll restate that one, but uh, <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> if, you, if you care about what you're doing, all, yeah. the, all the little things, attention to detail, follow through, preparation, actually sort of take care of themselves. And so yeah. I ask people, how clear is it? How clear is your understanding of success? And then do you care? Right. And, and if you care, those fundamentals suddenly become obvious, right? Right. Um, that I need to do more practice at this, you know, specific thing. Um, I need to do more preparation. I need to do better follow-up. I need to do better documentation, whatever those fundamentals are. Yeah, I read an article yesterday, I think. Uh, I saw Russell Wilson uh, on the Seahawks. He spends, I think, over a million dollars a year on his body and on you know, if you also think about how many games NFL plays, I don't know what it is nowadays, what, 15 maybe? They spend 200 plus days practicing. And if you combine with the work that Russell Wilson's doing on his body, you know, the fundamentals, the care, plus the preparation just to play 16 games, if the top athletes are doing that, why can't we treat the same way as professionals in the workplace too? So that's a, a really key point. Well, one other thing I, you know, talking about that, we had a, um, we had a guest speaker <clears throat> when I was working at uh, Symantec, our sales leader brought in one of the um, 1984 US Olympians, um, 
that were part of the U.S. men's gymnastics team um, that ended up performing much better than prior U.S. men's gymnastic teams. And the gentleman brought out a pommel horse and was wearing tights in front of a room of 200 salespeople. <laughs> you know, it was ballsy. Yeah, it was it was an awkward scene, right? And we were giggling under our breath. Um, and he proceeded to then give a motivational speech about what it takes to be successful. Yeah. And the first myth that he busted was he said, people say practice makes perfect. Practice uh. does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Mm -hmm. So how you practice is how you're going to perform. And he explained the process that they actually practiced for years leading up to the Olympics with a full scoreboard, with sound effects of people cheering. They, they planted their landings and posed their team boot, you know, cheered. It was, they basically practiced every day as if they were yeah. actually an event with all of the, the texture around it. And he said, if you practice, you know, at half speed, if you practice and gloss over the details, what makes you think that when it comes to game time, you're suddenly going to pick up those things you didn't focus on during your practice. And that one really landed with me that practice makes permanent, not yeah. practice it's perfect and how you show up in practice um, is going to be something that's going to you're going to carry with you into the game yeah that's that's big um you said fail forward fast or whatever the terminology was and i'd rather fail in front of internal employees versus in, in front of customers and i think we've all made that that mistake myself included i think you and i have been on a couple calls where i was early on here at people ai stumbling over some of my words and you're like, well, I don't want to do that again. So going back to the drawing board and making sure you spend time going through those different things and those fundamentals. And if you don't know what the fundamentals are, go find the top rep or the top person in your company that is in your role. And nine times out of 10, they're going to be doing this type of practice, whether it was 20 years ago in their career, because they've been around for a while, or they are new, and they're doing it daily. So I would, I would challenge people to go do that. Would you agree with that? Um, totally. And actually, you know, when I think about how you focus on the fundamentals and how you practice in the way that you want to show up, one of the most important um, people in that equation, in addition to yourself, is who is your coach. Yeah. And if we think about whether it be exercising and weight loss or <clears throat> financial planning or any of the classic um, sports cliches, Imagine if all your coach asked you to do was to lose more weight, save more money, or sell more software. That's, that's not a coach. That's a taskmaster. A taskmaster. Yep. Um, coaches will do things that we've seen in all of those movies where they, you know, tell everyone to put the basketballs down and start running, you know, welcome to golf, but you're not going to touch a club today. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Miyagi with Karate Kid. <laughs> I know Ralph Macho. Am I waxing right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wanted to throw punches and, you know, go to high school and get in a fun fight. And Mr. Miyagi wanted him to wax cars, right? Yes. So, you know, great coaches tend to have asymmetrical thinking around fundamentals and you'll find their energy is directed on the fundamentals. And if your coach is only focused on how you perform, I really think that that coach is not doing the team a service, right? And the coach's job is to drive practice makes permanent, to drive focus on the fundamentals. And that unlocks velocity, it unlocks confidence, it unlocks um, uh, impact, and it, it unlocks creativity. When we're not focused on whether we know how to stop a snowboard or not, we can pick a different line as we go down the hill. Um, if we're not focused on whether we need to show up to the gym or not, we can try out different exercises. And if we're not focused on whether to put some money aside or not in terms of investing, um, then we can spend more time on what we want to invest in. So yeah. I think having command of those fundamentals creates the headspace and the energy to apply ourselves to the things that are higher impact and more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now we've mastered the fundamentals. Another thing I've noticed in your you know, time as a leader that I've worked underneath you is that you're extremely efficient. You juggle a ton of hats, a ton of balls that you're dealing with, whether it's external, internal, but you always get stuff done. So one of your things that you talk about is how you think about time. I'd love for you to expand on your viewpoint of time and efficiency and how you're able to handle those things and be very effective. Cool. So I'll take the compliment, but for anyone who knows me, they <laughs> They may get a slight giggle about me talking about time and efficiency. Um, I'm an optimist by nature, and unfortunately, that sometimes will bleed into my calendar um, in terms of 
how much I'm trying to get done. So some of what you might be complimenting could be my, my optimism um, that I can put 10 pounds into a 10 pounds of sand into a five pound bag. Um, but as a father of two, uh, a husband of 20 plus years, a professional responsible for multiple functions <clears throat> um, and, a, and a son and a friend and all the other things that we all do, there's no question I have a lot coming at me every week, every month, every year. One of the things that has served me really well is we all talk about what we want to accomplish. We all talk about what we're willing to invest. What we're not as comfortable talking about is the price we're willing to pay. And when I think about as my career and my life started to become exponentially more complicated, <clears throat> how my relationship with time changed. And whether you're Bill Gates or Elon Musk or you know Russell Wilson, yeah, we all wake up with something that is universal. We have 168 hours every week, and there's been books written about this and, and podcasts and. And if you look at that and you break it down and you use roughly a third of that time for sleeping, self-care, et cetera, and you have any source of a, of a full-time job, you know, you're, you take 168 hours, you can break it into three 56-hour chunks. You're going to consume the first 56 sleeping and self-care. The second 56 will go out the window with a job and any form of a commute or overtime or anything else that goes around a normal 40-hour-a-week job, which leaves us all with this precious balance of 56 hours. And I think in being intentional is one of the things I challenge myself to be, which is be very intentional about how I invest those 56 hours. I'm not passing judgment. I'm not advising people how to spend their 56 hours, but I can tell you over a period of, extent, uh, over a period of time, what will start showing itself very clearly as you get later on into your career and later on in life is how you've chosen to spend those 56 hours. And maybe you're on your third go of Game of Thrones. Uh, maybe you know you don't miss a single cycle of Sports Center. Maybe you catch every game. That's great. Um, maybe you've been reading books about personal development. Maybe you've been going out and trying to network with diverse personalities or people you wouldn't normally spend time with. Maybe you were focusing on fundamentals when other people were rewarding themselves. And so again, not not preaching, just saying that I know that I've had to make tough decisions. Um, about things. When I think about art in my 20s, I was playing on co-ed sports teams. I was in the golf league. I managed a fantasy football thing. I had all these things and I had time for everything. Yep. And, and you know, as life went on, I had to start being very purposeful about not how I was going to spend my time, but how I was going to invest it. Um, and that intentionality and then subscribing myself to the things that I want to use those 56 hours for um, has helped me be very purposeful and intentional in terms of the results that I get. Yeah. And I think if people are thinking about the previous point of how to master fundamentals and where do I get the time to do that? I think this is a perfect example of how to be able to do that. Another follow-up question I want to ask you is as you get more successful or even anybody really gets lots of opportunities to say yes to, you'd mentioned that you were uh, doing the recreational league, you were going on golfing trips, you were whatever, doing tons of different things. And I think a big powerful thing that people can do is actually say no. Do you find it challenging to say no to certain things? If, you know, how do you, I guess, how do you decipher whether or not something's good for your goal or not? I'd really be curious what your thought is on that. Sure. Actually, I think as you shift from maybe a single person in an individual contributor role, into any form of a fabric of community, whether that's marriage or um, a church or a yeah. team, and your responsibilities within that fabric increase, you're going to have to switch from what do I want to do today and what am I going to accomplish? Because you know, as you get momentum, that whatever you focus on, you're going to get results. Your confidence yeah. level starts to increase. So suddenly the question shifts from what am I going to do to what am I not going to do? Yeah. And this is where materiality and prioritization become mission critical skills. I'll often coach managers or, or leaders that are on my team that we should think of ourselves as superheroes. Wonder yeah. Woman, Batman, and we've got this utility belt, okay? Unfortunately, we don't have any real superpowers. So <laughs> what we're gonna do is we're gonna start hanging tools around that belt um, by which to go lead our teams and accomplish results. And the first two tools I'll talk 
to leaders if I see they're struggling with this are um, prioritization and materiality. And so can you look at something and determine that that decision, that investment of time, that action, how material is that to you in the pursuit of the goal that you and your team are trying to accomplish? If you struggle <clears throat> with determining materiality, then you're going to struggle with prioritizing. And so I think really being able to um, understanding what's going to have impact when and being able to sequence those things in terms of timing um, becomes really critical. Yeah. So always questioning yourself whether or not this meeting is worth it or going on that weekend trip, just going back to the goals that you create for yourself yearly or quarterly or whatever it is for you. Well, and then I think one other thing to add on there. So from a logical perspective, you can think about materiality, prioritization. Um, and I think really a great exercise if people don't do it is sit down with that budget of 168 hours, yeah. reflect back on how you actually do spend it, and then ask yourself how intentional you are in terms of how you spend it. Now, back to your question, something I didn't discover later on in life was how important having my values written down, hmm. where I can see them, um, where I can use them, was something that would help me also answer that question of what I'm not going to do. Right. And so, you know, I, the way I use my values is, are that um, I have them written down. I've got a picture of them on my phone. I've got a picture on my desktop. I've got a printed out picture in my office. And when I have a big decision to make, maybe it's an employee um, is resigning and you're trying to decide whether to try and retain them or not. Maybe you've got a hiring decision you need to make. Um, maybe it's a, a um, an opportunity to go travel to a business conference, or maybe it's a, you know, the, the weekend golf trip with old college friends or something like that. If I find myself struggling, I just go back to my values, like a compass and say, yeah. okay, my values are excellence, adventure, growth, integrity. So I say, do my, they don't always help by the way, but sometimes yeah. I, see, I see the answer clear as day. Um, and it's one of the things I also will do um, each year around new year's Eve while people are um, doing the kiss and popping the cork and all this other stuff. I'll always <laughs> find a few minutes to go off by myself yeah, and I'll reflect on the year um, that just went and I'll look at my values and I'll ask myself, Hey, how did you act this year? And yep. did, did you act consistent with your values? And what I've found is regardless of the result, whether I got the result I wanted or not, I actually felt good when I was consistent with my values. Mm. Ironically enough, even when I got a good result, I found that the fulfillment I got was not the same if it was somehow in conflict with one of my values. And so that was one of the, that's, I think probably the best answer I can give you in terms of how I try to decide what to say no to, but I'm still working on that. It's a tough one. Yeah, no, it's um, when, when people think about careers, we oftentimes, if we're not internally reflecting, we'll think it's about the title. It's about the money. It's about the position, whatever the case is. And while that might be great, that's kind of a byproduct of what your values are and thinking, back to what aligns with you and makes you happy as a human being, that's going to help you show up more powerfully within the workplace, within your family life, so that you're not, I think, just bouncing around like a leaf in the wind, which, you know, a lot of us have done early in our career, because you graduate college, you might have an uncle in a certain, certain uh, role for a career, you take the job and you're like, a year or two later, what am I doing? And the people, in my opinion, uh, who challenge that and say, is this really something that I want to hang my hat on for my career and either say yes or no, they go down that path and you kind of have this trajectory of alignment, 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 or the opposite end. So it's like great that you always do that yearly check-in. Um, I'm really passionate about that because it helps you go towards your North star. Cause you don't want to look back at your life and say, man, I was living somebody else's dream. Well, I think, I think back to, I think the, the question of how do you know what to say no to is super powerful. Um, and my definition of a regret is having actually spent time, which is the most precious commodity that I, I treasure um, yeah. unintentionally. And when I look back and I'm like, ah, oh, what was I doing? I was just spending the most valuable commodity I had unintentionally. That really hits me hard. Yeah. And, um, as we talk about career growth and we look at the future, one of the questions I'll often ask people is, what price are you willing to pay? Okay. And what costs are you willing to pay? Because I, I know what you want to do. And, I, and I, I, I recognize the strengths that you bring to the table. Um, I recognize your desire. Recognize that you're competing with other people 
that may be making choices, whether it's in their 56 hours, whether it's relocating, whether it's travel, um, whether it's you know long hours. And again, I'm not preaching or prescribing, but I'll just acknowledge for people that when you say I want to be a CRO, when you say I want to be a CEO, when you say I want to be, you know, I want to work internationally, um, if if you are willing to pay costs and you're willing to make investments that others aren't, you're going to create competitive advantage. Now, is that the right thing for you? Only you and your values can answer that question. But but be intentional and don't sit there and ask the world to bring things to you. You need to figure out how you're going to go out there and make news, not report the news. Yeah. Totally. And going back to your point earlier, you better care about what you're going after because if somebody, if you're in the same exact role as somebody and you both say, I want to be the best of the best at it. And one person is in the role that aligns to their values. The other person is there for the money and the title. Obviously the person with the passion and everything is going to put in those extra hours because it's a joy to them versus somebody who's like, I just want to make 500 K a million dollars this year, whatever the case is. So, um, not suggesting people go out and quit their job tomorrow or anything like that, but take a good hard look, whether it's changing around your mindset when you're in the job about how you approach your clients, what it's not just, I'm selling software to make a dollar. It's I'm selling software so that my clients can go home to their family earlier, whatever the case is. So would you, do you want to expand on that anymore? Do you agree with that? Yeah, the, the phrase that encapsulates that, that some friends of mine uses, um, the bigger your why, the harder you try. Yeah. And so knowing when your why is intrinsic, when it's something that's native to you. And actually, one of the things I would offer to folks or to people listening is, I think a lot of times we actually try and do what you were just doing right there, which was try to attach some broad purpose, like that has to be, you know, pure as the driven snow. Right. Yes. I'm here to free people to go home early. I want to do this. And, and that's great. But what I've actually, you know, what I think one of my purposes, when, when I think about what am I doing with my time and why is it that matters? I think there's something really beautiful in solving problems for customers, having yeah. that give you money and, and invest in your solution so that you can take that um, investment and then translate it into two things, returns for your investors, which then make their way into the economy and, and keep that going. But what's really invigorating is, as you start to lead and grow teams is the creation of jobs. Yes. And, and watching someone go from below six figures to over six figures, to, to watch someone land their first seven-figure deal, to watch someone build out their first international team. When I see hardworking um, people on a path and, I, and we can grow a business and we can translate that growth into opportunity. And then those people are out buying houses, they're out educating their children, they're taking care of their parents, they've all got their own why. And so while I really laud and appreciate people that are you know, building schools in, in third world countries or people that are down donating time and, and certainly service is part of something that we should all have as our daily routine, there are others pursuing that with a passion that I, I just, I can't match, right? Yeah. But, but what I can match is I have this passion for creating um, businesses and solving problems for customers. And the way I, to your point, develop a mindset is, you know, people have to provide. And so how can we create opportunities for people to provide? How can we solve problems for our customers? How can we change the way we do things? Um, and I'm rooting for people that are fully dedicated to service or other missions in life that they're bringing the same zeal to what they're doing um, that I'm doing. And it goes back to that diverse perspective in terms of what we're all bringing. But I think the creation and growth of a business is one of the most noble causes out there. And it fills me with a lot of pride um, to have been a part of growth businesses that I know have changed people's lives um, in terms of their, whether it be their experiences or their personal wealth or how they get to invest that wealth and whatever is important to them. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're spending so much of our time at work. So if you can look back and say, I, I helped be a part of that for people, that's that's big time. So if you're a leader, that's huge. And then if you're individual contributor, you can start to work towards that as well. Totally. Thinking back, we covered a lot that I, I think you'd probably say, but thinking back towards the beginning of your career, as we shift gears here, what would you say you wish you had known a little bit more of or that you maybe thought about? You know, it's an interesting one. Um, as I reflect on that, uh, you and I chatted briefly about some of the topics 
frankly, there's a lot, right? As we all get older, we wish we knew in high school what we knew in college. We wish we knew in college what we knew when we got out of college. And trust me, that pattern doesn't change as you you know, become a, a vice president or a C-level executive, you'll start to say, man, I wish I had known this. But I think the biggest one is the concept of compounding interest. And so we've all heard about compounding interest. Einstein called it the most powerful force in the world. And I think we natively go to our 401ks and in saving and how 7% interest doubles every 10 years, the rules, right. et cetera. Okay, cool. <clears throat> um, we're not in finance. But what didn't hit me until later on in life uh, a friend of mine, uh, a dear friend of mine and I were both, you know, were hip deep in our sales career. And I said, Hey, I, I think I'm, I'm going to break out of being a sales rep and, and I really feel passionate about wanting to lead teams um, and get back into leadership. And he was saying, I don't have the time for that. Uh, I invest in real estate. Um, I'm a killer rep. I make my number every year. Um, I don't want to do all the things that go around that. I'm focused on my customers and, and, you know, retiring that number. Um, I work to live, not live to work. And yep. it was a conversation the two of us had. Flash forward 10 years later, this same friend and I were having dinner um, in San Francisco and I had moved um, from Colorado to San Francisco at the time. And he said, hey, what happened to your career? I feel like I've been standing still and all of a sudden like you're doing this, you're doing that. And he's like, I, I want a network like yours. And all of a sudden the conversation we had had from 10 years ago, and again, not passing judgment, he's a dear friend, he's been tremendously successful. He's like, I'm kind of tired of being a rep. I'm ready to make a run at leadership. And I was like, in the, the comment that hit me was, I want a network like yours. And it just came out of my mouth, which happens more often than not, especially <laughs> with a wine or two, where I said, sorry, man, it's impossible. And he said, what do you mean? He's like, I'm willing to do anything. I'm like, it, it, I was willing to do anything 10 years ago. So I have 10 years of compounding interest. Right. And the network that I've built is not because I needed it or wanted it right now. I started this process of intentionally networking with the types of people that would challenge me. And one of the things um, in addition to the law of compounding interest on everything, not just money, your network, practicing fundamentals, um, how you treat people, um, how you treat your family, how you treat your health, these bills will all come due. And yes. compounding interest of how you, are intentional about those things are one of the things I think I wish I had known because there's some areas where I just talked about, I think treating people right, networking was something I was very intentional about for a long period of time. And I, and I have a really strong, robust network I'm proud of and I feel really good about the people in it. There are other areas in my life where I didn't um, do as well. And I think just being aware of the four or five people you're spending the most time with, which is another subject that's been talked about a lot is something that as I look back on my performance and my mindset, those four or five people I'm spending the most time with and the compounding interest of that are probably the two most powerful forces in our life that we don't give enough airtime to. Um, yeah. 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 I think uh, one thing that you had mentioned to me is this really fun experiment that you did. I don't know how long you did it for, but if you recall, you'd show up uh, after a 14 plus hour flight with a smile on your face, just how you treat people. Do you mind expanding on that? Cause I think that's really powerful. It was the art Harding charm tour. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance for any of the, the people out there that uh, were inflicted um, on my art Harding charm tour. But as someone who's traveled a few million miles in my life, I've got all the useless statuses that you would want, which I used to put great pride into. But uh, again, it's one of the costs that I paid. I recognized how easy it was for those of us that were business travelers to have our headphones in, our head down, our laptops on our shoulders. And anytime something went wrong with the flight, I would watch the flight attendants and the, the people at the gate having to deal with just irrational people. And I'm, yeah. you know, they're upset. They're upset about a mechanical issue on the plane. Right. <laughs> would you prefer we were 10,000 feet in the air when they figured this out? Like, can we all just yeah. sit down and chill out? And so I walked up to, to, to the gate one day and I asked the woman who was dealing with the line, I said, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have a question about the flight. I just want to ask, do you need a cup of coffee or a glass of water or anything? And she was, she lit up like a Christmas tree and I didn't yes. want to, I already had a good seat on the plane and everything. She's like, oh my gosh, a glass of water, the water would be amazing. I'm like, great. I went down and got it. And suddenly everybody in line kind of laughed and smiled too. And it just like everyone kind of chilled out. And I thought to myself, well, that wasn't that hard. Yeah. I wonder if I just try to make someone in, in what I was joking about with the charm tour was, 
can I turn someone's face into a smile in 30 seconds, no matter how I feel or no matter how they feel? And it was one of those fundamentals that I thought would be very useful in the business world. But I decided to just create a little short-term fundamental experiment for myself as I was renting cars and waiting for luggage and getting, not to consume an hour of someone's life, but could I assess the situation, connect with them quickly, and then put them in a better place from a mindset perspective? What I underestimated was I thought I was doing something for other people. All of a sudden, I had a bounce in my step. I'm walking around the airport like a Disney character with cars. <laughs> Birds flying over my shoulder, <laughs> singing zippity doo dah, um, and I just found it was really useful um, exercise for me. So, not recommending that exact one for folks because there were definitely yeah. some moments. I'm not nearly as funny as I think I am, but uh, it, <laughs> it was fun. I think so many people go out through the business world and think that you have to overthink how to network with people, or you you have to do all these crazy things in order to provide value up front, which is important. But I think if you just come with that mindset, like you said, and not overthink it, but how can I put a smile on this person's face, even if it's something little, that's going to help you think outside the box. Because oftentimes people get stuck, in my opinion, on networking with people, maybe a few steps ahead of them or executives, because they don't think they're, they're worthy of having that conversation. Um, do you have thoughts around how to get in front of people that might be able to help you build your network? Yeah, I think as, as you know, the minute you start managing people, people want you to start mentoring them. And there's a, yeah. big, there's a big difference um, to me in terms of mentoring someone versus managing. And I think the most underrated characteristic out there is curiosity. Yep. Sincere curiosity is one of the most attractive characteristics on the planet. Like, I just think when someone is genuinely curious um, with like a childlike curiosity, especially the older and more experienced they are. It's, yeah. a, very, it's a very endearing um, characteristic when someone says, hey, I'm genuinely curious for a genuine purpose. <clears throat> and when you can be authentic and say like, hey, this is my purpose. And I'm really curious about this aspect of you, your role, your business. Anyone who is remotely committed to what they're doing is passionate about that. Yep. And yep. so when, when you express a sincere curiosity, that is not designed for you to get your next job, for you to get a couple more points on your annual performance review, but you have your own passion and you can connect those two passions through that, that lens of curiosity. Um, I haven't found anyone that is hip deep in whatever they're doing, is a leader of a business or is a leader of a certain area that when they, it's very easy to recognize when someone's trying to network for their next job and when someone's actually just sincerely curious about something that you're bringing to the table. And I think that curiosity would be my, would be the platform by which I would try to engage mentors and, and other folks. Love that. Makes it, makes it really easy and less pressure on yourself. I think uh, I could definitely use doing a lot of that. So that's great. All right. So wrapping up here, um, we've got three kind of rapid fire questions for you, and then we'll go with, with one last deep one. So Art, what are some of the best resources that have helped you along the way? Uh, books and music. Um, I think music's one of the, the best drugs in the world. There's no hangover. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's low cost. Uh, yeah. You can share it with others. You can do it alone. I just think music has a magical ability to actually change your attitude. Yeah. And, and then books. Um, you know, early on in my career, I used to ride my bike to Barnes and Noble. Um, I had a car, but I just, I liked the, the process of riding my bike. And I used to go sit in those Borders bookshops and Barnes and Noble coffee. Yes. And I, I couldn't believe you could just grab books and flip through them. And I would bring 20, 30 books to find which two or three treasures I was going to take home. And I used to call it the $10 rule. If I thought I was going to get 10 bucks worth of value, I bought the book. And yes. I've been lugging them around ever since. Yeah. And I just think that, uh, you know, good energy and great books um, are, you know, super low cost resources we can all access. Yeah, I mean, music can change your state in the flip of a flip of a song choice. So I, I love it. I was listening to some house music before you and I got on the phone. So <laughs> came in hot. I, I asked for five more minutes. I actually had to change my energy with some music. So it's funny we were doing the same thing. So there you go. <laughs> Um, who were the most, or who are the three most influential people to you and why? So you, you know, you prepped me with this question a few weeks ago, and honestly, it's been the most stressful question. So I'm going to break the rule <laughs> for 
and I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm going to give you four answers. Um, okay. One of them is a pair. Um, so there's no question that the biggest influence, um, especially early on, was my parents. Um, you know, I've got great parents that invested a lot um, in me, and I'm very fortunate enough to have had that experience and still have them in my life to this day. Um, so you know, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't start with my parents. Um, the second one's my wife. Um, I've been married for 24 years. Uh, we met very early on in life and dated off and on and uh, both ended up graduating from uh, Florida State. So go Knowles. Yep. And um, she also happens to work in the technology profession and she runs a large enterprise data warehouse for a publicly traded company. And I think the connection um, that we both have for the profession we do um, and her partnership um, and her values um, for those of us that do have families or as we get connected with communities, you've got to take your values and share those with other people and make sure that, that there's a way for you to align on both of those values. So I think my wife would be the, the second one. And then from a business perspective, there's two folks, um, Joel Hoffman, who happens to be the chief customer officer um, at People AI, but he and I worked pr prior um, previously at a different company. And I couldn't think of anyone that I would embody as a diverse personality, he and I are literally yin yang, north south, black white, whatever analogy you want to use in yep. terms, of, um, you know, color schemes or um, topics. Very, very different person to me naturally, but has had an absolutely amazing impact on me as a professional and as a person. Um, and then while I'm cheating, um, the first one would be, or the last one would be Erica Schultz, who is. Um, the CRO for New Relic and someone that I was fortunate enough to work with for a few years and, and grow with her. And um, she was wildly successful before I met her. She continues to be wildly successful um, and just one of the most intelligent, hardest charging, uh, most authentically awesome person that I've been exposed to. And um, she really you know, challenged me to, to think about what greatness looks like in a, in a different way. Um, so my parents, my wife, um, and Joel and Erica um, are people that uh, definitely um, have impacted the journey. Love it. Thanks. One, one last fun one. Um, what do you think a common myth about your profession is that you want to debunk? <clears throat> um, that those of us that work in tech are good with technology. <laughs> I think it took me 10 years for me to teach my family. I don't know how to fix your printer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I started out as a computer science undergrad. I swift, switched to MIS because I tapped out on, I think it was discrete mathematics, um, that I was going to be making my money in a different way than some, some of the folks who write software. Um, and I'll just, you know, I, I actually love technology in the tech space so much that I've gotten the opportunity to speak to intern groups and things like that. And I say, whatever it is you think you're interested in, you can pursue that interest in the technology industry. It's a disruptive fast moving, low barrier to entry, global business. And it's across everything from sports to medicine, to religion, to communications. So like, if you don't think technology is part of the future, I'd, I'd love to talk with you. Um, but I just have such a passion for what we, we do. I try to encourage every young person I know to get involved with tech. And they often will say, oh, I'm no good with computers. I'm like, good. We have lots of people who are good with computers and tech already. What we need are people, yep. people that are good with people too. Yeah. Um, and bring different diverse ways to think to the industry. So I would encourage anyone who's interested in getting into tech that you don't have to be good with computers. Um, you just have to be a good person that wants to make a difference and somehow get involved. Yeah, that's excellent. All right. Last question here. What does living a life on purpose mean to you, Art? So um, I think we touched on a lot of it, uh, but, uh, you know, summarize, I think, <laughs> You know, there's a there's a funny meme going around, which is uh, whoever answered the question in 2015, where will you be five years from now? Definitely got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 has challenged so much of what we all thought we knew. And, and if you think about the things I talked about, your values, how you spend your time, and if you're intentional or not, how many of us got a lot more time this year, at least on paper, to mm -hmm. do things differently? And how many of us were intentional in terms of how we transformed, we spend our time when COVID hit. And yep. so I'm still struggling with that. And I know many of us are, which is, you know, what do my values support or not support me doing? How much time do or I don't have to do it? How do I get out of this, you know, Zoom phobia of just one Zoom call after another, after another? Um, and, you know, when I think about 
living a life on purpose or living a life purposefully, it really is about intentionality. So my, my big resolution this year, my commitment in 2020 was to be intentional. Right. And I said, yeah. this year I'm going to be intentional. And I think, I think, the, I think life is often listening because back in the face, <laughs> life, brought, life brought me boulders of, of, of things to respond to and react to. So I've spent much more of 2020 reacting and responding than, than, you know, being on my toes. I, I feel like I've been on my heels and I'm sure many people can, can relate to that sensation. Um, but as I look forward, it is really maintaining that intentionality in congruence with my values and then um, creating opportunities for others. So when we talked about uh, one of my core values is growth. Um, growth is uncomfortable. Um, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And so being purposeful and, and being intentional means I should always be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I should be making those around me a little uncomfortable and that we are in pursuit of new value, new opportunities, creation um, of solutions for our customers, opportunities for our employers, returns for our investors. And I just think about those three things and how much good we can all do when we do that consistently. So can we keep growing? Can we stay just the right amount of uncomfortable? Can we translate that discomfort into new competencies and new capabilities? And can we go solve bigger and better problems and share the rewards of those solutions, not only with our customers, but our investors and employees. And um, that, that gets me going. And I, you know, I, when I hear people talk about retirement or when they want to stop doing this, it always really like, Hey, how much longer do you think you're gonna be doing this? I'm like, I don't know when they reject <laughs> when they reject my expense report and they turn yeah. my microphone off. But like, I, I think this is really cool what we're doing. If you'd asked 20 year old art, what he would want to be doing in his forties, I'm kind of doing all the things that I wanted to be doing and it feels really good. Yeah. You know? And I want to keep doing them as long as I'm adding value. So, yeah, that's how you know you're in the right spot. Totally. All right. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Really appreciate your time. It was immensely valuable for me and I know everybody else felt the same way. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Frankie. Thanks.